Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So stay with us as right now we present my favorite, favorite, favorite guest who shows up from time to time. <laughs> you better be careful, Kevin. I'm not sure you can say favorite, favorite. You could say favorite person who lives in Simi Valley and speaks to me from her office. Yes, that one. That's oh, the next one. And who is doing some extraordinary work for the world, uh, which is really, well, that's really courageous of you and really wonderful that you do what you do. It's, it, it's, and so I, I guess I should introduce you. We're talking to Michelle Neff Hernandez. She is the CEO, head bottle washer, creator, any other title you'd like to give her of soaringspirits.org as well as uh, uh, Soaring Spirits of the organization, Soaring Spirits International. And you are um, working with people who have suffered from grief and are working through that. You've got these wonderful, wonderful retreats that you do. And, I, you know, there are people that haven't heard your message on the show before, so I'd like to briefly go over that, and then we're going to focus in uh, on like a laser on a particular underserved group that uh, that um, I think needs some attention. So, uh, awesome! Tell us about Soaring Spirits International. Well, first, I just want to say thank you for having me back. I enjoy being your favorite person in Simi Valley. I think I think we're going to say that I'm your favorite person in Simi Valley. If you right. happen to find someone else in Simi Valley who you feel like, uh oh, I've just gotten myself in trouble. I'm, I'm fine. We can back up a little. <laughs> no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand by it. All right. You've been on the show a number of times, and and every time, it's been meaningful, and uh, and meaningful for our listeners. So. It's... Well, here's the thing. You know, grief impacts every one of us, and so today we'll talk specifically about widowed people and the opportunities that we provide for resources and community access. Um, to anyone who's experienced the death of a spouse or partner. But the other truth of it is, I think, that no matter what you speak, whenever you speak about grief, whatever lens you use to look through it, you know, everybody is impacted. We will all grieve as humans. It's part of the human experience. And because of that, the more often people engage with information about grief and about bereavement and about the ability to move through in a healthy way, grief experiences that are just part of our regular lives, um, the better, even if it doesn't apply to you right now. Um, what I like to tell people about the Soaring Spirits programs, which are all designed specifically to address uh, partner partner loss, is that you know it might not apply to you, but it certainly applies to someone in your life, whether it's a family member, a friend, a coworker, a colleague, a neighbor. Um, everybody knows somebody who's widowed, even if that person doesn't come straight to your mind right now. I can't tell you how many times I have been doing a presentation um, and have somebody come back to me a month later and say, right after I saw your presentation, somebody I know had this experience and it was so great to be able to have something to do because as people who might not have lived through a widowed experience um, themselves, it can be really challenging to witness that for another person. And so having access to the programs of Soaring Spirits helps people who are not widowed themselves, but supporting someone who is, feel like they have something to offer. So my hope is always that no matter who you are, if you're listening, um, this this might not be your personal experience, but it certainly could be useful to find out, you know, to, to, to hear about what we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. By the way, I got to tell you, you educated me on something. And I was talking with a, a gal yesterday or the day before and was talking about grief. And she was saying she was going through this to the point where she didn't want to get up. She didn't want to take a shower. She didn't want to eat. She didn't want to do the basic things of life. And the last thing that she wanted was for people to come over and try and console her. Because she hadn't taken a shower. The house was a mess. You know, she had to clean, you know. And and so I said, well, and I said to the audience, and tell me if you agree with this. I hope you do. Okay. That uh, if you know somebody who's going through that, don't make them clean up or feel like they have to clean up their house so that you can come over and console them. Just take a, a, a pot of lasagna and put it on their front porch and give them a call and say, I've got dinner for you. It's on your front porch. Love Kevin, you. I'm so proud of you. 
That's excellent. That's excellent advice. I, I mean, the, here's the thing. It's so true that, you know, because, and, and this speaks to just what we were talking about a second ago, which is that when you feel helpless and in the face of someone's grief or in the face of their pain, oftentimes we put the burden on the person who's in pain to say, but how can I help you? Because I want to help you. And even if they're like, I don't want any help. I can't, I can't clean my house. I don't want to see any people. We still feel compelled to ask them to show up for us so we can show up for them. So what you suggested is a way that you can offer support without them having to do anything. Instead of you calling and saying, how can I help you? You called and said, hey, dinner's on the porch. That's a completely different thing. And for grieving people, it's such a relief not to have to clean, not to have to feel like they need to be the best version of themselves, because oftentimes they just don't have the energy for their best selves right then. And, um, you know, it's also not a one size fits all experience. And so everybody does this a little differently. But for one one tip for anyone who's listening, I always love this as an opportunity for anybody who's grieving. So if you know someone who's grieving, buy a gift card to a restaurant that is near to the person who you want to support and you know does delivery. And then you write them a little note that says, I'm thinking about you at some point when you don't feel like making dinner, dinner's on me. Put that gift card in, send it in the mail. I could promise you there's going to be a time when they are thinking of you with such gratitude because who knows how long it's been? Who knows what kind of day they've had? But they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I have dinner. I can just call and order it. So that's an easy way, easy tip for anybody who's grieving or actually really anybody who's struggling, you know, through a difficult time. It makes such a difference. You know, I'm really lucky because I get to interview some really tremendous people, you being one of them. And uh, I was in interviewing um, these two young girls. They're in their earlier in their 20s and they're a musical group. Hmm. And it's called Sisters J and they have a song out and it's called open win. And the premise of the song is boyfriend's going off to college. He's going to be way a, a long way away out of sight, out of mind. So she wrote down 20 or so different things, remembrances, thoughts, put them in envelopes, put it in a box and gave it to him. So that when he was feeling down, he could open it up and take one of those out and read it and maybe could, could feel a little bit better because of it. Was that, was that something that, that if, would, would be appropriate for you to do for someone who's grieving? Absolutely. I think the other thing I like to tell people is to make sure that when you're trying to support someone who's grieving, that you are this, that you're, you're the same kind of person that you always were before. So let's say that you, you were, you know, didn't used to ever, you don't have any memories with them. Let's just say that. Let's say you're a person, you're like, oh my gosh, my neighbor three doors down is, I just heard they had a horrible experience. They're grieving. Sure. Could you put things in an envelope and have them open it? Yes. But would it be a little weird? Yes because they don't know you, right? But if you're their best friend, or if you are their next door neighbor, and you guys have been friends for a really long time, yeah, that is a beautiful and thoughtful way to, to, to offer support. But I but what I do know for sure is that even if you don't know someone well, and let's say you are the three doors neighbor down, or you're, you know, on the other block altogether, you can always send a note that says, I heard, you know, I, I heard that you're struggling, I just want you to know, you know, should there ever be a time when we could be available, you know, here's how you can get in, in touch with me or something like that. Any kindness is not wasted. And so, you know, I always say err towards trying to be kind rather than doing nothing at all. And also try to be who you are. You know, it's, it's an interesting and difficult life sometimes, isn't it? And I think the thing that makes it bearable when things are really hard is knowing that people care about you and that you aren't alone in whatever horrible, tragic situation you find yourself now we've we've talked about this before, but it bears repeating because it's so important, and that is a lot a lot of people do, because grief when somebody else is experiencing grief, it's very uncomfortable for us mm -hmm. because they, we know that they're in pain, but we have got no earthly idea what to say, how to say it. Mm -hmm. Do that. give us some tips on yeah. how to say something rather than saying something like, well, you know, they're in a better place now. Mm -hmm. So my first tip is that any sentence you might start with at least, you shouldn't say that one. 
So don't say that one. When you start to say at least, because of course what you're trying to do is say like, it could be worse or, you know, at least you got this much time with them or at least you're young and you might, you know, you'll be able to repartner or at least, you know, they died quickly and there wasn't a drawn out experience or at least you got to say goodbye. Avoid all those. Anything that starts with at least, leave that one on the side. What you can never fail with is, I care about you. I'm thinking about you. You've been on my mind. You can never go wrong with those. And so anytime someone you know is grieving, you can send an email, send a note, call, text that just says, I'm thinking about you. And then that opens the conversation. If they want to have a conversation, that can encourage them to to respond. If they don't want to, it's not wasted because they know someone was thinking about them. And I think the other big thing to remember is that there is not a place where this can be fixed. And so often what we want to offer so desperately is a solution to the problem. Grief is not a problem. Grief is a life experience that has to be lived and there's no fixing it because the person's still going to be dead. And so when the problem is that someone you love is dead, There is no fix for that. Instead, we have to learn to carry it. We have to live with the feelings that we have and make our way through. And doing that, knowing that people care about us as we do, really, though it may seem small, is a gesture that makes a difference for people who are grieving. Do you find in your work that sometimes the second anniversary or the third anniversary can be a very difficult moment for people and that that if you um, acknowledge it as a friend that you're thinking about them on the, because everybody tends to, you know, we greet, we go to the funeral and then we look, we buck up and I get our lives together. And some people, a second, third, fourth, fifth anniversary can be still 10th anniversary. Like, here's the thing. This is the, this is the, one of the jokes in the grief community is that we're supposed to all be stamped better by 365 days. So on day 366, you know, you're supposed to wake up and you're like, okay, good. I did that. I did that whole grief thing and I'm done. And the reality is that, you know, one of the things that happens in early grief is that we go into sort of a mind fog. It's like your body shuts down all the things that are not necessary because this really big thing has happened. And so you don't remember a lot of things. You feel kind of like you're living an out of body experience. It is the tr- the shock that's associated with a person that you're expecting to be in your house no longer being there, right? They're gone. And our, we have to get used to that. So it takes that whole first year to kind of like, okay, I'm I'm understanding that this is my life. When the shock starts to wear off, the reality of what life looks like without that person physically present in your life begins to to really feel like, oh, wait, this isn't just me living through 365 days. This is the rest of my life. Now I have to figure out what that looks like. And so one, I think, misconception is that people are worried that if they were to say to me, so um, my husband died 17 years ago. His name's Philip Hernandez. And it was very common, and especially in the early days, but even later, that people wouldn't want to say his name to me because they were afraid that that would be painful. And I'm here to tell you that while sometimes when you say someone's name of the person that's died, sure, you might see tears, but those tears are also got some gratitude behind them. Because imagine what it's like when one day in my regular life before my husband was killed in a cycling accident, people said his name all the time. He was a part of regular conversation. Then he dies. And the very next day, people stop saying his name. It is the weirdest experience. It's like they got erased from the world. And it's so painful because all you want to do is talk about them. All you want to do is have somebody not squirm in their seats when you say their name. And so you can't go wrong by saying people's names. You can't go wrong by acknowledging, and and let me just put it this way, by acknowledging someone's anniversary, it's a thoughtful, sweet thing to do. And as long as you're not doing it because you need something from it, right? So if you're saying to them, I'm thinking about you, I know that this anniversary might be tough, I'm sending you some love. Great. If they want to talk to you about it, they will, they'll engage. But it gives you, it gives them the thought that, gosh, I'm not the only one who misses my person. It's lovely to know that Phil's life impacted. Uh, to, to this day still, I have still, within the last year, 
been interacting with someone who I didn't know knew Phil and who had an interaction with him that made a difference in their life. They shared it with me oftentimes with a little bit of trepidation because they're not sure how it's going to be received. And I'm always so grateful. He is still making a difference in the world. There are still people who remember him and who were impacted by the fact that he was alive and he was such a generous, funny, kind soul. He was a track coach. And so oftentimes I'll meet kids who he was coached by and they'll say, I just wanted to tell you what a difference coach Phil made for me. Do you know the really cool thing about that is, is if he was a, since he was a coach, that there are people that are remembering things that he said, yeah. ways that he would say it, little yeah. little sayings he used, mm-hmm. little ways of motivating people yep. that will survive their to their old age. Mm-hmm. There's some things that my little league coach said to me that I carry with me to this day. And he died three years after when I, he died when I was 15. Yeah. Um, What an amazing legacy, right? And there are also things that you often pass on to other people. And so, but the only way we know about that is if people are willing to share. And so I'm always so grateful to the kids who are now adults who will come to me and say, you know, coach Phil made a difference for me. Because it's just another confirmation that, you know, the life that we live together and his life is important and remembered. Exactly. Now, I I want your opinion on this. Um, I had my best friend from high school. uh, We were um, piled around for like four years and we worked together after that a little bit and all that. So we were very, very close. And he passed away a couple of years ago now. And so his kids and his sister, who I knew very well, um, asked me to start to write some stories, some remembrances of times that nobody else may have remembered, but times where we interacted and how it affected both of us. Um, is that the appro- is that an appropriate thing to do? Oh my gosh, it's so beautiful. And it's one of the other things I'll tell people that they can give as a gift is a memory. Like you said, if you're the only one who knew it happened, you know, and it was an whatever, interesting, funny, meaningful, you know, silly, it's something that you won't get unless somebody is willing to share. It's also a lovely thing you can do for someone who's grieving in that card, maybe where you send a gift card to a restaurant that lives nearby. So, you know, I thought I'd share this quick memory with you. And then, you know, it could be a few sentences, but again, it's like bringing that person to life. So just now we talked about your coach. He came to life for just a minute here with us because we're talking about him. You may have heard that um, quote that says, you know, there's people can die twice. The first time is when their life ends. And the second time is when people stop saying their name. Yeah. And one of the things that we can do to remember people who've made a difference to us is share those memories with each other, share them with the people that loved them. It's really an incredible gift. So I love that they asked you for that and we're able to ask you because sometimes when you're grieving, you don't know what to ask for. People keep saying, how can I help? And you're like, I don't even know what day it is. You know, I can't get out of like I'm struggling to get myself into a a regular life. And I don't know, I don't know how you can help, but those memories to know that that was something that they could ask for is really a beautiful thing. And it it was fun because there were some things that he and I went through that nobody else in the, on the (laughs) face of the earth knows. And, uh, and it was able to do it and it, it really worked. So I, you know, it's really important. This topic and the, the, the why the reason I love to have you on so much, Michelle, is that this topic is universal. Yeah. And it happens to everybody. Um, I it, it, losing a spouse, however, I think is a different category than losing a brother or a parent or uh, losing an intimate partner is is got to be the most devastating thing that I, I can think of happening to one human being when they're the one that they love can spend their life together and, and is no longer there. So I applaud yeah. the work that you do. Well, I appreciate that. So let's talk about that for a minute. And also I want to just acknowledge like how grateful I am that you guys, that we continue to have this conversation because so many times, you know, it's like, Oh, grief. No, we're not going to talk about that. That's a downer. <laughs> you know, nobody wants to talk about 
death and grief and bereavement. And the trouble is we're all going to live through it. So if we don't talk about it, if we don't have just regular conversations about what happens when someone we love dies, then we're shocked when they do. And we don't have any tools available for managing that situation. So the more times we talk about it and the more we engage in just like, this is a normal part of life. And the more we are able to provide people with resources for supporting each other, as well as the idea that not only do we have these grief experiences, but we make our way through them. And those loved ones that died, they don't die with their physical death as long as we keep their memories alive through conversation, through being able to mention them, through sharing the things that mattered to them, you know, by sharing whatever that coach told you that really made a difference to you with someone else. This is the way that we continue to engage and integrate the people we love into our daily lives. And if we can model that for everyone, then when inevitably they grieve someone they love, they have the sense that it isn't the end, that there is still an opportunity for that person to be integrated, whatever they feel about afterlife. I'm talking about our life, our continued life. They continue to be present in it for as long as we're able to engage with their memories. I, I wholeheartedly 100% agree with that. And it's it's actually the essence of what Positive Talk Radio is. Yeah. Uh, we can't it's it's not a matter of being uh, uh, Pollyanna and and it's all rainbows and sunshines. We go through some crap in our lives, and we and if if we have tools in which to fix it or to get through it, mm-hmm. then, then it works. It works. Yeah. And, and I do want to also just like come back to one thing that you said, which is <clears throat> one of the things that's really common in the grief world is the comparison game, and the comparison game goes something like this, you know the death of a child is the worst thing that you can experience. No, the death of a spouse or partner is the worst you can experience. No, the death of my mother who I watched die of Alzheimer's in my front of my face while I was having to try to manage her care is the worst thing that happened to us. And so you go through this iterations um, and you know, here's the truth. They're all the worst thing, right? Of course, they're all the worst thing, whichever one you're living through, that one's the worst. And also each one has their nuance, right? So everything you said about partner loss is true. For for some people, it's their best friend. For some people, it's the person that they spent literally every minute with. I once um, had one of a, a young man, he was in his early 30s, attend a Camp Widow event. And he told me that he and his wife worked together. I think he was likely on the autism spectrum and she was his only person. And when she died, he literally was screaming because he could not stop because he had nothing. He had no one. And so his mom brought him because I mean, he, he had his, his mom. I don't think his dad was alive, but he had his mom. She didn't live with him. You know, he had been married to his wife. They had created this whole life, but they worked together They did literally everything together. And so, yes, there are those experiences. We also have people who um, I once had a a woman who was in an abusive relationship and she said, you know, I was relieved when he died and I loved him. So, you know, it's complex. There's so many complex human experiences, but anytime someone dies, the grief is, you know, is going to be viewed through the lens of their relationship to you. And so when a spouse or partner dies, what's unique about that is that they are your person for a lot of things. And so when Phil died, you know, immediately the other side of the bed is empty, right? Like the person who I would call in the best of times is not going to answer the phone. The person who would be the one, I used to tell people, you know, I have a lot of people in my life. I'm super fortunate to be very well supported. If I had a flat tire somewhere was stuck and I couldn't and I and I needed help, there are a bunch of people I could call. But if their wife or partner called them at the same time, I would not be their first priority, nor should I be. 
And so what you lost, what, what I lost when Phil died was being the priority for someone who I would be the first, call. you know, like if I called and someone else called, he better come on and get me first. Um, so it was just a, it's, it's a unique experience in that you where you sleep, who you would go to a show with, who you sleep with, who you process strong emotions with, who you share a family with, who you potentially share children with, you know, all of that is influenced in that spouse partner role. And when they die, your entire world shifts in a way that you didn't ask for and didn't want. And you still have to figure out what to do with yourself after. And, and while that's always true in every, in every grief experience, it's the lens that changes. And so, yes, if a child dies, that lens is totally different. There's a whole future that has been lost in a different way than it's, you know, with a spouse or partner. Also a future lost, right? So I try to always remind people that whatever grief experience you're living through, that's the worst one. And that whatever next grief experience you you will have in your life, because the truth is we're going to grieve more than once. And I know that people don't love to hear that. And yet... Whenever we love people who are human, we know that there is an end date for anything with a heartbeat. And so even our pets, you know, the people, the people and the, and the other animals, the, the things that we love that we hold dear and have a heartbeat, we're going to grieve them. That's just, that's a reality. And so um, being able to provide people in our, in our case for Soaring Spirits, being able to provide widowed people with resources and programs that will help them find a community that will walk with them through the grief experience and provide the resources and tools that they can use to build resilience as they heal has been an absolute privilege. And your program is growing and it's got more things to offer all the time. And you keep reinventing yourself. I think it's pretty cool. Matter of fact, one of the things you're reinventing and doing new is, uh, you know, you know what February is? Yeah, it's Black History Month. It, it is Black History Month. Yeah. And, and you guys are doing something special in coordination with that, are you? We are. And, you know, one of the things that is interesting about the grief experience being universal mm -hmm. is that it happens to everyone. And yet... It's unique in that individually we experience it uniquely and as communities, we also experience it uniquely. And so what we recognize is that our programs saw that we were we were identifying black widowed people as an underserved community within our larger population, meaning that black widowed people were accessing our programs less than other widowed people. Um, we saw the same thing across a variety of BIPOC populations. Um, in, and we also saw it across um, the deaf community, the hearing, well, hearing or sight impaired, actually both. And what we realized was Soaring Spirits has sort of been standing as a lighthouse um, saying, here we are, if you need help, come over here. Um, but the trouble is not everybody has the same access to getting to the resources that we offer. And so our 2023 vision as we move forward with our um, strategic plan, which will be over the next five years, is to take the lighthouse light from, you know, that very tall, inaccessible place and put it into hurricane lamps and go out into communities that we've identified as underserved. And because Black History Month is coming, um, one of the things that we'll be doing is a Black Widowed focus group. And so this will be an opportunity for our Black Widowed community to come together um, led by an incredible team from Soaring Spirits who um, themselves are of, of African descent. And they have the opportunity to talk about not just how widowhood impacts them personally, but also how being widowed and Black impacts them and how the Black experience of grief as it, as it touches Every part of the cultural experience is going to influence how they experience widowhood. And so uh, we're really, it's a, it's a pilot program. We're excited about really just holding space to have that conversation. And one of the things 
that's unique, I think, about Soaring Spirits is that we ask the questions of our widowed community members, what do you need? And then we do our best to deliver that. And so we ask the, that's what we're doing with our Black widowed community. We're asking the question, what do you need? What space can we hold? And, you know, what can we facilitate to add meaning to our programs and to provide additional support that's custom designed for a community? And so we bring that community together and we ask the question. So we're in the early stages of it. It launches in February. Um, it will be a free meeting, a free virtual meeting. So again, for people who identify as of African descent and are widowed, um, we use a very broad definition of the word widowed at Soaring Spirits. That is means that any person who experienced the death of a person they thought they were going to spend their life with. So same-sex relationships, opposite-sex relationships, all genders, doesn't matter if you were married or not. Um, and, 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 and just if you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with this person, we consider you to be widowed. So the two criteria for this particular program are to identify as of African descent and to to be widowed. And if both of those things apply, you'd have the opportunity to have this conversation um, with, uh, th with community members who share those two elements as well. I think that's, that's, that's really is a cool thing that's, that you're doing. And like I said, you keep reinventing yourself, keep reinventing yourself. And I think, I think that's awesome. But you know, one of the conversations, I can't remember which one we've had, we've had a few, but one of the things that I like about your program is that you uh, vet people as well. Yeah. And we do. You, you, you vet people to make sure that they, number one, are who they say they are and are there for the appropriate and right reasons. Yeah. I had no earthly idea that this would even be an issue. But <laughs> who knew? <laughs> who knew? I will tell you, I was quite surprised. But, uh, you know, to for the audience to like kind of ca catch up with us, uh, Kevin and I have spoken uh, previously about the fact that one of the reasons why we vet people for our programs is the number of people who attempt to join our programs that are not widowed. Um, oftentimes it seems that the intent is that they want to date a widowed person. Um, sometimes the intent seems to be, a, you know, to sell to a, a specific product or service to widowed people. Um, you know, I, I feel like there've been a few times where it feels like, you know, scammers were just desperate to, you know, knock on the door and be able to sell their nefarious wares, whatever that looks like. Um, so for our programs, and this is one of the cool things about, and uh, let me give a shout out to our volunteer team. We have a, a team of volunteers who goes through our process. Every single person who comes into our programs is vetted. And um, we have a team of volunteers who follow our behind the scenes process in order to make that happen. Um, and, you know, of course, we can't nobody can 100 uh, percent guarantee online safety in a crazy online world we work in. But we do the very best we can to ensure that at the very minimum, you know, you are going to be interacting with widowed people um, who have been able to prove that they are widowed. Um, and it's unfortunate that that's necessary, but it definitely is necessary. No, I, I agree with you 100% because I was just thinking about it. Okay, so you are an upcoming executive and you have a wife and two kids. And as part of your uh, uh, package at work, you get a life insurance package and you also have supplemental life insurance and that sort of thing. So at the end of the day, somebody who, and 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 you pass away, your wife and kids may be entitled to a large sum of, sum of money that they come into that then becomes bait for somebody with who's got a nefarious idea or wants to to, to uh, swindle them or do something with them. So I think I think it's not only a great idea, I think it's necessary. Well, let's just also say to everyone listening, um, life insurance is, in my opinion, and I am not pitching any kind of a specific sort of life insurance, but I want to say life insurance is one of the only types of insurance you are guaranteed to collect on. And so, you know, thinking about our family members by doing the best we can to offer even a minimal amount of life insurance really does make a difference. And um, I will always advocate for this. When my husband died, we did not have life insurance. I ended up working double the hours and two jobs in order to be able to take care of our, uh, the kids and to be able to, you know, manage the lifestyle that we had. And so 
I always remind people, people I've heard, I've heard some people say, well, why would I give life insurance? You know, why would I get life insurance? Because it's not, I'm not even going to be here to, you know, to take advantage of it. But I can say this, that the grief experience is so difficult that if you add to it a, a financial strain, because in most households with a two, in, if you are living in a two income household, most two income households would struggle if one of those was removed. Oh, yeah. And so that's often what happens is that you are living life. Things are normal. Yeah, you you know, comfortable. Everything's fine. But you have two incomes. And if one of those incomes is not replaced by at least some life insurance, immediately, literally immediately, everything changes because you have now half the income with the same number of bills and sometimes potentially even more bills, depending on how your person died and whether there was medical bills to cover and all of the things. So. I, my hope is that there would be widowed, more widowed people having to struggle with the new money that's come in and having to be careful about protecting it. When the reality is a lot of people are not in that position and end up instead in that, okay, half my income just left. Now, what am I going to do situation? So it's worthwhile to do that pre-planning, friends. If you can do anything for the people who will be, um, you know, mourning you and grieving you and so sad that you're not here with them, if you can remove some of their financial strain, it makes a huge difference. Well, especially when you're talking about the uh, cost of housing. Absolutely. And food and educating children and, you know, even just every regular day life when you you know oftentimes people imagine that widowed people and that's why you're right it's why those hackers and scammers want to get into our programs is because they imagine oh yeah there's a fertile minefield here of people who have life insurance policies the truth is that has not been my experience you know if i don't i would even say 50 percent. and i would also just like to say that even if they did have life insurance even if it was a significant settlement, they still have to do the grief work. Like nothing, none of that gets removed. All that changes is they don't have to immediately start wondering how they're going to pay the house payment because that's what happens for a lot of people. Half their income's gone. Next month's payment, guess what? It's still going to be due whether or not your person's alive. And that immediate strain begins the minute your person dies. It's really, really painful. And I know how uncomfortable it is to talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and it can be expensive, it, and, but when you're younger, it's not really that expensive. But, yeah. but the, the thing is, is that I know it's uncomfortable to talk about and you don't really want to talk about the fact that you may die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will die, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> most, most people- not soon, I hope. But I mean, this is the thing. Is that even right, you? even not- our language, we're used to it. That's that's how we're trained to speak because yes. we want to say if we die, you know, in the unlikely event that we die, if you know the <laughs> horrible thing might happen and we die. The truth is, we are all going to die, and so if we can change the language to when we die, then we at least sort of normalize that a little bit for ourselves. And again, please let it be a long time from now. I hope that it is a long, long time from now. But I will die. My husband will die. My children will die. And all of those are very uncomfortable things to say. I hope not for a very long time. So, you know, we can say when I die, hopefully not for a very long time. Like we can add that piece to it. I'm all about that. But I really, I advocate for people. You and I, one of the things I love about you is that you're always well, you're always welcome conversation about language. Because, you know, we've talked about suicide survivors and we've talked about not using the phrase committed suicide because suicide used to be a crime. And so that's where that phrase came from. And it it can be painful for suicide survivors to be constantly reminded that it feels like they that their person has committed a crime. That's why we use that language. So one of the things we say is they died by suicide. And you have been wonderful at welcoming conversation around how can we change the way we talk about death in order to be able to better process it? And thank you for that because I I I, I had no idea it never it had never even crossed my mind that mm-hmm. that was a something that I needed to be concerned with. But when you when you put it out the way you put it out, it makes absolutely total perfect sense, and it's bad for for the survivor of of that as well. So. Well, and it's how we've been trained to speak. And you will hear suicide survivors use that exact language because people don't, it's been a long time since suicide was a crime. 
And so we don't think of it in those in those terms anymore. It's just outdated language that used to be used when you couldn't collect on a life insurance policy if if you had taken your own life. So there were there are a lot of things that have changed to adapt to understanding of the mental health issues that can cause suicide death. And that has launched us forward a bit. You know, I still, of course, there's always work to do, but it has moved us at, you know, forward some in addressing the stigma that language like that continues to place on survivors. Because of course the person's already dead. And so the person, you know, we say, oh, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change my language. They made that choice. Okay, well, that's true. They did make that choice, but their person didn't. And it's not them that's listening to you. It's the person who is surviving them, who is grieving them, who can't understand why this happened, who is. So us just making small language changes not only can support grievers, but also can help us to better integrate the concept of death into our lives so that we are better able when the time comes for ourselves or for others to, you know, walk into that with less trepidation. You know, I want to mention the insurance thing one more time, because there's a local radio host here that uh, he'd been on the air. He was on the air in 2003 when I was on the air and we had the same time slot. So I have kind of an affinity for him in any event. um, Two weeks ago on a Thursday, he did a show he went home, had a heart attack. They took him to the hospital, and Saturday he died. So it wasn't like between Thursday and Saturday he could call a life insurance guy right. from his hospital bed and say, by, by the way, I need a million dollars in insurance mm-hmm. policy, please. Mm-hmm. It was too late. It was too late, so yeah. It, it, and, those, and so don't let it be too late. I think that's also the trouble is, right, there doesn't feel like there's any urgency around it. You know, and when it does feel like it's urgent, oftentimes it's when you're either you've been in a life threatening situation or you have a life threatening illness. And at that point, it's often too late or it's so expensive as to be prohibitive. And so the time to do it is when you are able to do it without urgency. One, sure, you get to shop around Two, you know, you get to really consider what your needs are. But I can tell you this, you know, even just being able to plan the funeral, how many bake sales have you seen? bake sales, yard sales, GoFundMes, because people did not have what they needed to uh, manage a funeral for their person, right? Because there was no life insurance. And so these sort sort of experiences you hear about and think, oh gosh, that's awful. But let me ask you this, who would pay for your funeral if you died? This is a question we should, every one of us be answering. We should be able to answer that question because if we can't, the answer is, whomever is our next of kin is going to have that responsibility. And then will they, or won't they have what they need? It's, it's, it's a kindness to your family. It's truly a kindness to your family to make sure that you can answer the question, who's going to pay for my funeral in, in the event of my death. Yep. You know, what's going to happen to me? What? I'm going to end up in my son's closet. All right. Yes. Well, you know, it will be, hopefully he'll tap you lovingly as you come in. Hi. Hi, Pop. How's it going? Yeah. No, I'll be in the spare bedroom. Uh, oh, in the spare see. bedroom, right? Not in his, not his closet. He doesn't have creepy. Closet, so. That's weird. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about that. Just to normalize it for everyone. People have ashes everywhere. I've heard of ashes in the trunk of a car. I've heard of ashes in the garage. My father-in-law's ashes are, he had an outdoor um, fire pit that he loved. His ashes are in the fire pit. <laughs> So, you know, everybody does a different thing. There are, you know, it is all about what your relationship with is and the person, what you feel comfortable with. So wherever you got your ashes, you know, more power to you. Yeah. The, the gal that I work with, her name is Holly and she's a funeral director and she's done everything oh, in, yes. in the, in the process up and including when she was younger, picking people up, taking them to the morgue. And then also going through the uh, uh, crematory process yeah. and stuff. So she could tell you chapter and verse. Oh, what I happens. Bet. Yes. You don't want to know, really. No, um, I know. Because they well, actually, yeah, you don't want to know. So I also do want to just give a shout out in case they, they any of them hear us that, you know, I'm sen- sending love to your friend's family. Um, I'm so sorry to hear about his death and your radio friend. Yes. right. Yes. What is yes. his name? Let's say his name. 
His name was Don McNeely. Oh, Don McNeely. Well, we're thinking of you today, Don, and you know, keeping your memory alive. Yes, indeed. And and oh, by the way, my coach, his name was Scotty Reed. Okay, good. Scotty Reed. And Philip Hernandez, Coach Philip Hernandez, um, was well known for running the track backwards because he felt like we get into habits and he didn't want the kids to get in the habit of always going the same way, despite the fact that that is the way you have to run on the track. And so um, he would, people would get to practice and he'd have kids running the track backwards to, to use their muscles in a different way. And uh, they'd always be like, oh, Coach Hernandez is at it again. Brilliant. That actually, it, it, that that's that's absolutely brilliant. Could you he teach people to, to do things in a new way? Mm -hmm. And, and um, it's it's you know the, the impact that we have on people's lives, and and we it cannot be understated. I really and you know you're creating a legacy, and the, the legacy that you're creating is going to outlive you, and it's going to outlive your kids, mm -hmm. and it's going to be going on forever. And it's a really cool thing that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. What I love is that it's also built on the legacies of so many people. And each time, you know, we have people come into our programs and they share their person with us. They share their stories with us. They talk about their person. It's it feels like just like layer upon layer upon layer of legacy and that, you know, our donors who donate in honor of their person, we get the honor of being a part of someone's legacy. It's an incredible privilege. And so we do this work knowing that. We are held up as an organization and um, not only in our fund development, but also in our programs by doing things in honor of some really incredible people. And in that way, of course, we ensure that they're not dying that second death where people don't talk about you or remember that you existed. But instead, we're carrying forward all of their best qualities by recognizing them as we take care of other people and help them rediscover themselves and build a life of meaning for themselves, which integrates the love they have for their person. So this is the thing. I think it's a myth that we should, that we can address is that um, if you're talking about your person, that means you're not over it or there's something wrong with you. Um, and that if someone were to continue loving someone who's dead, that would keep them from living a full and meaningful life. And so, um, you know, in my own case, and this is not true for every widowed person, so it's not about repartnering. Repartnering doesn't prove that you're all better. So let's be clear about that. Um, but I have had the great fortune of marrying again and have a wonderful man in my life. And I've been married to him for three times as long as I was married to Phil. And still, Phil is a part of my life. He's a meaningful part of my life. He continues to be a part of my legacy. And I continue to actively work to ensure that his legacy continues in the world. So I get both of those things. You don't have to have one or the other. You get to keep them both. And every single thing we've experienced in our lives, all the people we've loved, they come with us into whatever we build next. I think that's a wonderful, hopeful thought right there that we can, we can continue to build. And because, you know, <clears throat> when I was younger, I thought, well, you know, when, when famous people die, as an example, that they're immortalized forever. Mm -hmm. That's just not so. Yeah. There are there are kids that are in their twenties and thirties today. When I say the name Bob Hope, they have no idea who that is. Yeah. Or Bing Crosby. Right. Or you know, or or um, Red Skelton. I had a gentleman that, that we were talking about. I said one of my favorite guys of all time was Sammy Davis Jr. He they said, did not say who's that. He did. Oh no, <laughs> Kevin. Does that mean we're old? Apparently, <laughs> apparently, because you know Sammy Davis Jr. was uh, he was big, and, yeah. and, and you know, and, and stuff. So it's important for us to keep our legacies and our family legacies yeah. alive. And, and you know, I think that's it's just such a beautiful thing. And if we can come to grief with the expectation that that person is integrated, whoever it is. So I think I like to use the example of grandmas. You know, so people who have a grandma that they love, no one thinks twice when they say, oh, my grandma used to say this or my grandma used to do that. They think you're a great, you know, grandkid. Oh, wow. How sweet is that? Remembers her grandmother. That's so nice. But if I were to say the same thing about my dead husband, they often will be like, oh, does her live husband know she still talks about that guy? You know, it's not the same thing. And yet it's exactly the same thing. 
You know, you love people, you continue to love them after they die. And, and a spouse or partner, of course, would you expect me to completely forget him? And if I did, what does that mean for you, mister? That means as soon as you're dead, you're out too. So, you know, like, I, I feel like the messaging is all wrong. Of course, I still love Phil. Of course, I'm sorry he died. That doesn't mean I can't live a full life. It doesn't mean I don't love my husband, Michael. It doesn't mean anything except that Phil was a wonderful man. I was fortunate to have him in my life and I continue to love him and talk about him because he deserves that. And I'm willing to bet that Michael is in 100% approval of that. Absolutely. He couldn't have married me otherwise. I When we first started dating, I said, look, here's the thing. I come with a whole bunch of widowed people. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not optional. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'm probably not the right person for you. And he decided, well, you know, I can live with that. I'm, I'm good. I, I'll, you know, I'll... actually what he decided was just what you said. He thinks it's amazing to be able to help people in this way and to help them you know, make space for both their pain and for their potential joy. And that's the thing is that in the early stages of grief, it doesn't feel like joy is an option. It feels like joy is so unattainable as to be, an, you know, it's an alien planet that you cannot possibly visit. And then in our programs, what, what I love is that we have people from all different distances from their death experience and who have interacted with joy in a number of ways. And when you see other widowed people experiencing joy and talking about joy and being able to say, I'm still feel the sadness of the death of my person. And also I'm very happy with the life I'm living today. That is hope personified. That's when you're like, oh, that's that's possible. I know it now because I just saw it. And that's that's what we hope to share with our programs is the opportunity to interact with other widowed people, understand, have a base level of understanding, which is we all outlived our spouse or partner. And then from there, there's a million different directions you could go in terms of connection and the ways in which we support and inspire each other and also act as hope personified for the widowed people who come after us. Now, because being widowed is a unique experience, and sometimes it takes a one widowed person to understand what another widowed person has gone through. Do you ever have any of them that uh, that hook up and then uh, you have to go to a wedding? <laughs> Absolutely. I have even uh, facilitated a few weddings myself. I've acted as officiant. So, um, you know, because exactly what you said, we begin by a shared experience and we come to it often very vulnerably because, you know, when you're in pain, you don't have the ability to hold up that sort of shield that you might, you know, the mask that you might use in different circumstances, just not available. And so, yeah, um, there are definitely times when people find themselves in groups with others who they you know, they process their grief in a similar way. They understand each other uniquely. And what we hope for all of them is that as they build a new life for themselves in the aftermath of this death experience, that they begin to ask themselves, what do I need? What do I want? What do I want this next chapter of my life to look like? And that they have the courage and tools to build what's next. And yeah, sometimes that includes a new partner. Sometimes it includes a new job, a new location, a new passion, a new, you know, avocation. Like they, there are a lot of opportunities for growth um, in the aftermath of grief. And it's a hard way to grow, but it's a beautiful way too. It leads you to a, a place that you might not have been able to get there any other way. Yeah, it's absolutely true. You know, and uh, by the way, we've been talking with, I can, you know, I, I have to value your time because you are such a busy person. Doing <laughs> well, I always make time for you, Kevin. Well, but Michelle Neff Hernandez is our guest. And, uh, and if you want to get a hold of her, if you know somebody who could benefit from her services, how do they get a hold of you? The best place to start is our website, soaringspirits.org. So soaringspirits.org is the place to go for all of the programs that we've talked about today. Um, and it will give you the opportunity also, if you want to share it with somebody who it might be a great benefit to. And oh, by the way, this is a nonprofit organization and yep. they depend upon donations. So if your heart is calling you to donate to this and i gotta tell you this more than worthy cause um go to the website because we could we could spend the next hour just talking about the programs yeah. that you're offering on the, uh, on the website and in real life and the community that you've created 
and all of that. But if you feel if you feel called to donate to any group, this is a worthwhile group to donate to. Wouldn't you say? I appreciate that so much. And I and also I want to say that, you know, we love doing this work in memory of the people who matter to you. So if someone mattered to you or if they made a difference for you and you think you'd like to make a difference in the world in their memory, we are so privileged to do that. So please, you have the opportunity to make your donation in memory of someone's and that's right easily available on soaringspirits.org. There's a donate button right at the top. Um, and I can promise you that any donation you make to Soaring Spirits is absolutely going to be applied to programs that are changing lives every day. And it's important work. Yeah, absolutely. Because I know people who have been immersed in grief for 15, 20 years. And it, and it, maybe that's the time frame that they need to do, but they're are not. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this thoroughly, that when you, when somebody passes that, that you love and they're on the other side, I, from my reference point, they're on the other side, they're happy, they're looking down at you, they want you to be happy. They want you to have a fulfilling life. They want you to be able to do everything that they would have done with you if they were still here, but they still want you to be happy and being in grief does not serve you or them more longer than you have to be um, to to really uh, live your life to the fullest. And, and Let's just say that it's a complex equation. Yes. And yes, I absolutely believe that our people who loved us would want us to have a loving and wonderful life, whatever that looks like for each individual. And also I acknowledge that it's very difficult to feel that when they're when they're gone. And so when they're not physically present and you're not able to check in with them, it can be easy to get into the grief spiral. And I do think that, you know, we can lean into choosing pain as our normal. And if you find yourself grieving and in a space where it's been, you know, several years and you still feel like that pain is your normal, getting some additional support to help you find your way through that can be really, really powerful. And so... There's no time frame. I always wish there was. I wish I could tell you exactly how many days was the normal, healthy number of days to grieve. The truth is you're going to grieve for the rest of your life, but it will not be as intense as those early days. And if that intensity continues to a, in a way that makes you unable to have a life for yourself, then please think about how you might get some additional support because that's a really heavy weight to carry by yourself. I wholeheartedly agree and and the one the one thing i did now i depend upon you for my education excellent in a lot of cases so <laughs> i want you to educate educate me one more time about this and that is when somebody that i know like i've done this several times on the radio and i want to make sure that i'm not offending anybody uh, but when somebody start, starts talking about the person that is left and then what they are doing today because of that and they've written the book and it involves the trauma what they went through and stuff and it involves the death and at one point i'm liable to say you know i just want you to know that they're looking down and they're very proud of you oh i think that's a lovely thing to say okay good because it 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 and it's not only is it true in in my reference but yeah. it it uh can make people feel like they're still part of their lives and they are well, and if you want, if you want the tiniest language tweak, you could say, I believe that they're looking down and would be very proud of you because there is no world where you can avoid offending everyone. But for those who don't believe that they're looking down on them and that, you know, they, they often struggle because the references to that ongoing connection don't resonate for them. Um, but you believing that and and I think that even the words, I think that they'd be really proud of you is just a beautiful way to acknowledge that what they've done is hard work and that, you know, they, that the person that they are honoring um, would certainly be proud of that. Yeah. And you have to understand from where I come from. I've, I've, I've done this for a long time and I've worked with psychics and mediums and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And when my mom died, um, I had a psychic medium. I, I, it's about six months later, had him on the show and, uh, I, I said, so what does my mom think of the of the other side? Because she was a fundamentalist Christian, and she thought that it was going to be this one way. And he said, I don't know. She says something about why are there so many people here? <laughs> nice. <laughs> What's going on? 
<laughs> exactly. It's like it's like my my father was not. He was a retired Catholic, and uh, and so he wasn't a churchgoer, and uh, and I just have it in my mind that she sees him and goes, "Well, goodness gracious, what is he doing here? How did he get in?" That's right. That's right. Um, Michelle, it's just wonderful talking to you. I could do it all day, every day. And and will you come back and and, and can we have more conversations? Absolutely. I would love it. And uh, Michelle Neff Hernandez has been our guest. And go to soaringspirits.org. Donate. If you can, please. It's a great organization. They, they have their heart in the right place and they really mean what they say. And so they can, they, and they're, I applaud organizations that are your sole mission in life mm. is to help people. That's it. And in that, that is the highest calling oh. I can think of. Thank you. So thank you. Um, again, uh, go to soaringspirits.org and, uh, Michelle, thank you for being here, and she'll be she'll be on again as soon as I can. She's she's so busy; she doesn't have a lot of time for us. But. Oh, that, I will look forward to the next one. And thank you so much. If you wait right there, I'll be right back. Hey, thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of PositiveTalkRadio.net. Please visit our website, oddly named PositiveTalkRadio.net, for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember... Be kind to one another because each other's all we got.